and gentlemen, stoners and growers, welcome to a midnight rendezvous like no other. I'm your host, Socrates Grows, broadcasting live from a server in the heart of America. Join me on an extraordinary journey through the lush foliage of my autoflower garden to learn how to grow your own fire at home. This is the Autoflower Power Podcast, the podcast that takes you deep into the hidden realms of the horticultural marvels that we call autoflowers. On this special Halloween episode, we'll be doing an anthology of topics, all things that will scare the crap out of you in your garden, including overwatering, fungus gnats, and bud rot. So sit back, enjoy, grab some Halloween treats, hopefully you've been trick-or-treating, and enjoy this episode of Autoflower Power. One morning you go into your garden and you open the door. You notice your leaves aren't looking so good. They're drooping. This is a telltale sign. Right after the lights go on and throughout the day, if you see more constant drooping, you might be overwatering your plants. Typically, overwatering is uh, shown first through drooping leaves. There'll be a couple other signs in addition to the drooping leaves that you're going to want to take a look out for, including the top of the plant uh, yellowing out a bit more than the bottom of the plant. So this will show itself on newer growth towards the top of the plant, but just the top of the plant in general Sometimes this looks a little bit like there's uh, too much light or light burn, but really what you're seeing is that this is a sign that you're overwatering your plant, especially when the leaves are both yellowing and drooping to some degree. Another sign that you might be overwatering your plant is uh, the traditional drooping that you'll see plus browning edges. So when you uh, get kind of like um, nutrient burn, you'll see more tip burn. This is going to be a burn that's all the way along the edges, all the way from the tip of the leaves towards the back of the leaves. And again, you might see some drooping involved with this. These two together, again, they're a sign of that you're overwatering your plants. Uh, one more uh, sign as far as the leaves go is uh, brown and yellow spots. These can, again, look like nutrient burn, but when they're coupled with uh, drooping or the browning of edges... It's a pretty good sign that you're just overwatering your plant and that your plant is not able to take up the oxygen that it needs to keep growing and keep the roots healthy. You can also overwater in small like transplant cups, like whether it's you're doing the solo cup method or a double solo cup method. Typically, you'll see more algae growth towards the top of the plant. This is green, almost like mossy-like growth on top of the plant. It might look like mold or something, but that's actually just algae. And that is a direct sign that there's too much water on the top portion of that container that's uh, being exposed to the, the light. So uh, if you see algae growth on your small uh, transplant cups, this typically won't happen on your large full-size um, plants in the 5-gallon or 3- or 7-gallon pots. But on smaller uh, you know, solo cup or transplant cup size pots, you might see some green growth. And that's a sign that the top of your soil is actually too moist. And that's going to lead into... Our next problem that we'll talk about in a few minutes but let's talk about what the actual problems with overwatering um, and and what that does to your plant and what the problems really could lead to so when you're overwatering your plant obviously you're just adding too much water and you're not allowing any oxygen into the root zone 
This doesn't allow the roots to get the oxygen that it needs, and it doesn't allow the plant to breathe and take up the nutrients that it needs as well. The problem really is that um, we can't see the root zone. So we can't tell whether the uh, roots look healthy or unhealthy. We can't tell exactly what the state of them are. So we really have to look at the top half of the plant to diagnose these problems. And if we don't catch these in time, these can cause other problems. And the biggest one, especially if you're catching in the first couple of weeks, is uh, stunting. So if you're overwatering your plant early on, especially in the solo cups or uh, right after a transplant, or even in its full-size container, if you're directly planting, overwatering can lead to much smaller plants in the end. And that's something we want to prevent because ultimately um, with auto flowers, you don't have any time to catch back up like you do with photo periods. So overwatering is really, it's a nightmare. Um, you want to avoid it uh, pretty much at all costs. You're almost better off to underwater than overwater. Underwatering is another problem, but uh, that's a little bit easier to uh, remedy quickly. And um, I don't want to say the problems are less, but um, overwatering is something that we should be looking at as far as uh, potential problems and something that we could easily prevent. So what are some of the solutions? One easy solution is to let your medium dry back in between waters, especially if you're hand watering. Um, you're going to want to make sure that the top couple layers of your soil are dry before you add back any water. You don't want those top couple inches to be super wet. Your root zone is really below those two inches. So the top two inches, um, unless you're covering them up with some kind of uh, mulch, or mulch covering, which is another topic we could discuss in the future. You kind of want that to allow, um, you want to allow time for that to dry and no longer be soaking wet before you apply more water. So one way to check that that's really easy is just to uh, dip your finger in there and you kind of want it to be maybe up to the first knuckle at least, if not the second knuckle, you want to feel that to be dry before you're going to go in and hand water anymore. Uh, this confirms that it's probably dry enough that you can water and that it's dried back far enough. The plant does want to dry back a little bit, especially on the top of the soil. So this is a really good test and an easy way to prevent overwatering um, as far as knowing when to water. Uh, that also goes with you're probably going to want to water less frequently if you found yourself having watering problems. Uh, watering less frequency and also watering with less volume are kind of uh, a one and two combo. You could do one or the other or some combination of both. You're going to want to read your plants and kind of see uh, whether the plants want maybe a, a deeper water left less often uh, and allowed more of a dry back or maybe just less water on a more frequent basis. Uh, also, this depends a lot on your uh, medium. So if you're using cocoa, you're going to want to dry back less frequently and water more frequently. So use less water, but water more frequently with cocoa. Uh, traditional soil you can uh, water a little bit deeper and allow to dry off um, for a longer period um, so really that does depend on your medium as far as the uh, green algae that grows on top of your soil you can use the double solo cup method uh, so basically you're just sub irrigating in the transplant cups this is a great way to prevent the top soil from getting too moist because you're really saturating that bottom soil and if you have any uh, airflow, so oscillating fans or anything to, you know, kind of blow air over the top of both your transplant cups and your final pots, that'll help keep that top soil dry and that uh, bottom soil in your pot where the roots are uh, moist. 
another thing along with the double soil lookup method is you can use sub irrigation. This is, you know, auto pots or self watering pots, uh, also earth boxes, city pickers, anything like that. Any type of uh, sippy boy, as they're sometimes referred, uh, is a good way to prevent overwatering. This allows the wa- the plants rather to take up the water as they need it. Um, they're not going to overwater themselves. They're just going to wick up in um, self-wicking pots or in uh, earth boxes, or they're going to feed themselves and take in the right amount of oxygen and the right amount of water in auto pots. Uh, again, sub-irrigation is a great way for the plant to not only not overwater itself, but to really regulate the amount of water that it takes to maximize growth potential. So really take a look at sub-irrigation. I think we're going to do a whole show on sub-irrigation at some point and some of the different uh, methods you can use. So another way to prevent overwatering is to use sub-irrigation and, uh, you know, sip pots, basically. Um, If you are hand-watering, only water under the perimeter of the leaves. So uh, when you've got a full-size plant, you can fill the entire final bag. But, you know, if you've got a small plant in a big pot, only uh, water around the perimeter. The roots are only under the perimeter of the plant. You don't want to oversaturate that bag, and you don't want to create too much uh, moisture in the air. So those are some ways that you could prevent overwatering your uh, autoflower plants. One morning, you walk into your garden. You unzip your tent. You look at your beautiful plants, but you notice... There are disgusting small fly-like creatures buzzing around your plants, crawling along your soil and popping out any time the soil is disturbed. You see similar signs to overwatering. Potentially, your plants have been stunted if they're early in their development. This is an early sign of fungus gnats, one of the most disgusting, gross little problems that you could have in your garden. Now, if your plants are fully developed and no longer in the seedling stage or small vegetative stage, it's probably not such a big deal. It's more of just a gross factor that you've got little gnats and little larvae crawling around your soil. Don't forget, this is a Halloween episode, so excuse me for uh, some of these gross little bits. Um, But if you do have smaller plants in the seedling stage, there's a good chance that that larvae are going to go after the roots of that small plant and prevent it from growing to its full development. So these are fungus gnats that you're seeing flying around and the larvae in the soil, if you're uh, so unlucky to find some of these white little tiny wiggly worms are its larvae. So what are some solutions to the fungus gnat problem? Really what we're gonna try to do with fungus gnats and most uh, bug problems is we're gonna try to break the gnat life cycle which is only about a week or so. So there's really two stages that we need to uh, address. It's the adult gnat and the larvae, which are the two different issues that you see going on. The first is that we're going to try to manage the adult gnats. The easiest ways to address these are to use sticky traps. Uh, You've probably seen these in garden stores or on Amazon. They're yellow garden traps. Um, They're basically uh, stuck in your soil there's glue on them and they're yellow, usually in the sign or uh, the shape of a butterfly or a flower, uh, something cute for your garden. Um, and they basically attract gnats to the yellow and the glue on them catches the gnats. This is not necessarily a way to stop the infestation, but it is a way to slow down the reproduction of the new larvae from the adult um 
fungus gnats and also it's an easy way that you can monitor how bad the infestation is and if you're getting ahead of the problem or if the problem is getting worse by replacing those traps every week or so which we'll kind of talk about um, in just a second. Um, you can also use hanging traps around um, your tent or your grow room if there's an issue outside of the actual tent that you're growing in or the garden that you're growing in. Um, this should catch some extraneous fungus gnats just flying around. Another thing that you can do with these hanging traps is that you can wrap them around on themselves and use the little twist tie um, and put them around the base of one of your plants. So basically where the main stalk is coming out of the uh, medium, you can just basically wrap it around there and create like a little uh, crown almost on top of the medium around the plant, which will help as a barrier for the adult gnats. And really, since the larvae are going for your uh, roots, this is going to be where the main area of the problem are. So if you do use sticky traps or you use hanging traps, put them near the uh, base of your um, your stalk. Replace these traps either weekly or bi-weekly depending on the need. The next step is that you're going to want to destroy the larvae. This is pretty gross. Um, one of the easiest ways to do this is, or none of these are easy. Let me just start off with that. Uh, fungus gnats are not something that you are necessarily going to 100% get rid of, but it's something that you can, one, prevent, and two, manage. So every one of these steps that I'm laying out is not necessarily something that's going to completely stop the fungus gnats in their tracks, but they're all steps that you can take to help prevent them uh, without using any sort of like fungicide or insecticide, which I just straight up won't be talking about today. So you can uh, take a look at some of those on their own. I know there's many um, different products that are both organic and safe on the line. Um, and we might talk about them in the future, but that's just not on uh, on the radar for today. So uh, as far as destroying the larvae, the first thing we can do is we can dry out the topsoil. Uh, again, this goes with the overwatering problem. And one of the easiest ways to handle it is that we can just have oscillating fans or just some sort of fan blowing air over the top of the soil specifically to make sure that two, the two top inches are fully dried out in between watering. We can also lower the uh, RH in the tent or in the garden. This will help prevent um, oversaturated and over wet environments, which is something that the fungus gnats are drawn to and really enjoy. So lowering the RH through dehumidifiers or more airflow through your inline fans will also help. You can use uh, something called BT, which is made up of fossilized shells. These are basically microscopically small um, pieces that will destroy the life of the larvae. It's safe for people and pets. Um, I know uh, some people use these for uh, in cat food if cats get worms, especially for like outside feral cats. Um, so it's safe for you and your pets, but it will kill the larvae. And it will hopefully break up um, the life cycle and stop it to some degree. Again, none of these are uh, perfect. So uh, BT is just one solution. As far as BT goes, you can crush it up and soak it in water and use that water to water the plants. You can also soak uh, mosquito bits in uh, water for 24 hours and remove the bits and just use the water. Um, there's a couple different ways to use BT to break the life cycle of the gnats. 
The next, and I think maybe the most interesting one uh, for the fungus gnats that I've had a pretty good experience with recently, actually, is to use a, a biological control, which would be beneficial nematodes. Uh, this one sounds pretty strange. It's best used at the beginning of an outbreak or preventatively for the most part, but it's worth doing, especially if you're an organic rower, especially if you've had uh, fungus gnats in the past or if you have a lot of house plants that have had fungus gnats. Um, basically, nematodes are microscopic worms. They burrow themselves into the gnat larvae, which is disgusting. Again, Halloween episode. Um, they reproduce inside the bodies and they produce a toxin that kills the larvae. And as these uh, little microscopic worms reproduce, they spread because they're too big for the larvae body and they go through the soil and seek out new hosts and then reproduce inside of new larvae, destroying the cycle. Um, so yep, yeah, happy Halloween. Each, uh, nematode manufacturer has different directions. Follow the directions closely because if you don't follow those directions, these won't work. Uh, most cases you're going to have to do multiple applications, whether it's every seven days or every 14 days, also depending on your infestation, um, follow the, uh, directions for each nematode. Um, product. They're all different. Some of them you could apply to the top. Some of them you need to mix with water. Um, most of them you're going to probably need to uh, keep refrigerated um, because these are living organisms. Some of them have been uh, shelf stabilized, but most you do need to refrigerate. So keep that in mind. For uh, my best results that I've had um, to just tell you guys the product as far as um, best results was something called Nature's Good Guys Triple Blend HB plus SF plus SC. Uh, I found them at a local grow shop and um, they needed to be refrigerated. They were mixed in with water and then applied through top watering. So uh, just my experience with nematodes, I'd encourage you to try them if you've never experienced them. Sounds a little bit weird that you've got microscopic uh, worms attacking larvae in your soil, but it works. This is uh, one way to break that larvae cycle and get fungus gnats out of your garden. So let's go back to the past for my worst garden nightmare to date. I'm about to trim up some recently dried and about to be cured fat nugged white labeled northern lights. It was probably some bunk seeds that I got uh, from one of those generic stores. I don't want to say which, but you guys know where all uh, starters kind of begin. It was one of those types of places. This plant was uh, completely fertilized using salts, and I pushed this one as far as I could. This was about my third grow. I was very proud of the size. Uh, I don't want to say that it was either the Northern Lights uh, seeds or the fertilizer, so don't take that as the problem. I'll get into what I believe for sure was the problem in just a second. So I'm about to uh, start trimming up these giant, heavy, massive nugs of Northern Lights that I'm so excited to check out. And uh, as I'm trimming, I notice that there's um, maybe some like dust or some like fuzz or something that's kind of popping up in the air every time I kind of dig into the actual bud itself. And I notice that uh, it just doesn't seem quite right. There's something different about this than any of the other two times that I had previously uh, trimmed my dried weed. It seemed over dry or something like that. I couldn't really put my finger on it. 
It wasn't until that I broke into the nugs that I found an almost like web-like material and I really started freaking out. I realized immediately that this was bud rot. This giant crop of monster buds was completely ruined. This entire run, these months of work to get my biggest plant to date was ruined because I had fucked up and I had created bud rot in these giant buds. When it comes to bud rot, prevention is key. You've got to monitor your humidity and your temperature. You got to keep your RH well below uh, 60%, especially if you've got dense top colas. It's really these dense colas, like I mentioned in this particular run, that are prone to rotting. Smaller satellite colas don't have as much of an issue because you can get more airflow to them. But big, fat, tall, high times looking dense colas typically are the ones that are going to have the bud rot. So if you've got some plant that you're totally pumping full of nutrients and really getting like an awesome growth, uh, these might be the ones that you're going to want to keep an eye on and really make sure that you keep your humidity low. In addition to keeping the humidity low, you're going to want to keep your air circulating constantly on these colas. Uh, from mid-flower on, you want to make sure you've got either uh, circulating fans or just a bunch of airflow within your tent going at all times. You want to mute, uh, you want to move the humidity out of the tents and draw in new air with inline fans. So if you don't have that going, you want to make sure you've got something uh, bringing in new air. And really, all you can do is learn to do better next time. It takes one run with bud rot to scare the shit out of you and basically get you to watch your humidity for every other grow you ever do. So for me, what was the solution on this uh, particular batch? Well, this was really a tough pill to swallow, but I had to toss it all. Uh, I wasn't going to risk it and try to pick around this. I wasn't going to, you know, make myself sick or, uh, you know, worry every time I tried to enjoy this uh, bunk northern lights anyways. Um, and I just had to uh, take the L and toss this uh, plant. Thanks for checking out this extra scary Halloween episode of the Auto Flower Power Podcast. One final thought for Halloween before we go. If you've got them, let your black cats eat your families. On this episode, we've discussed the horrors of overwatering, infestations of fungus gnats, and the incurable bud rot. I hope you've taken something away from this episode that you can apply directly to your garden today to grow bigger, more vigorous, monster giant plants. Check out the show notes for this episode at SocratesGrows.com slash nightmares. You'll find notes and links from this episode. Also, feel free to email me at SocratesGrows at ProtonMail.com. And until next time, take it easy. Bye.